Hi guys, welcome to episode 7 of Books with Jen. Um, if you are listening to this on YouTube and you would prefer to download an audio file of this podcast to take with you out and about on the go, just go to jen-campbell.com forward slash podcast and you can download one there. Um, if you are listening to this on YouTube, also I will link any of the books mentioned in the description box down below. I am delighted to have the rather excellent Deborah Smith on this month's episode of the podcast. Deborah Smith is a translator. She translates from Korean and among other things, she has translated the work of Han Kang. And you may or may not know that The Vegetarian by Han Kang, which has been doing the rounds on Booktube a lot, recently won the Man Booker International Prize. So I caught up with Deborah to speak to her about what it's like to be a translator, how it all works and how she became a translator in the first place. And we're going to talk about uh, the Vegetarian and Human X, no spoilers, promise, we're just going to be talking about uh, what goes into creating uh, these works in English. Um, and I really, really loved chatting with her. Uh, we decided to meet out in the sunshine because for once it is sunny in the UK. Uh, so there are some background noises, but not much, I promise. There's a bit of a lawnmower for the first couple of minutes in the background, but it disappears. So it's all okay. I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast um, and I'll speak to you soon. Hi guys, I am here with Deborah Smith and we are out in the sunshine, which is very, very nice. Um, though that does mean that we have lots of London sounds around us, including a lawnmower. Do you that... want to tell them where we are? Because it is, it is very nice here. Sure, so we're in Rotherhithe, which is pretty much where I live, and we're in this... Careful, don't stalk her, that's not a very no. nice thing to do. <laughs> that's, 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 that's too general, Nobody, nobody's going to find me there. And we're in the really nice bit of Rotherhithe, which is not the bit I can afford to live in. We're in, I think it's called St Mary's Churchyard, and the garden has a little cafe, uh, which I always walk past on my way, sort of dashing in a stressed rush to the tube station and see people sitting, having a lovely time. And that's what we're doing right now, sitting and having a lovely sitting, time. Sitting and having a lovely time with the lawnmower. With, <laughs> with a lawnmower. So, Deborah, you are translator extraordinaire. Have you recovered <laughs> from winning the um, Mambuka International Prize yet? Have I recovered? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes, I have recovered. Um, it was actually, I think because it happened, everything on the night happened so quickly, um, and I had no idea what to expect in terms of all the uh, press yeah. stuff that they'd arranged for us to do. It was almost as though there was no time for it to sink in, which actually was quite lucky. Otherwise, I might have just sort of run circles around the V&A for hours, <laughs> screaming my head off. Well, you um, mean they were like, you have won, now you have to go do all the press stuff, go. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we, we went on stage, we gave our speeches. I cried quite a lot, um, but luckily Kang was incredibly cool, as she always is, and she gave her speech first, so I just about managed to pull myself together in time. Um, but then as soon as we were off the stage, it was off being photographed and talking to people and yeah. feeling a bit like I was in the Oscars. Yeah. So, can we... Okay, let's step back a bit. Uh, how did you get into doing translation work? Uh, through an incredibly lucky and random uh, series of things happening, which shouldn't give anybody the idea that that is... Uh, what usually happens or a sensible way to go about things. Okay, um, what, what were these series of events? Well, I guess first of all was deciding that I wanted to be a literary translator uh, despite having uh, never met such a person. Um, and like they're an elusive And only knowing English. Uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> wasn't the most obvious career choice, 
but I didn't really have any other obvious career choices staring me in the face, so that seemed reasonable enough. Um, and then I was, yeah, I was I was doing a PhD um, in Korean literature at SOAS, so I'd, I'd moved to London to do that. And a couple of lucky things. One was that um, Han Kang's agent, Barbara Zitwa, uh, had been sending the book around to various publishers, uh, none of whom knew anybody who could read Korean. Okay. And so um, Stefan Tobler from And Other Stories uh, found me online. I subscribed to uh, their books and sent me this book and asked if I would do like a sample and a report for it. Um, Unfortunately, at that time, I'd only been learning the language for two years and I'd never actually attempted to read a whole book in Korean before, but had optimistically put in my sort of profiles literary translator from <laughs> Korean to English, and so was too, was too mortified to explain that this would probably be impossible. Um, That's amazing. This is actually fake it till you make it, guys. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. In motion. Fake it and you will possibly make it, but only um, after you've sort of abjectly failed, which is what I did first of all. I did a, uh, a sample translation that was so horrible that even Han Kang's wonderful work uh, could not shine through. So this was for the that vegetarian. Picture-y. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then uh, a year later, I was invited to the London Book Fair because it was the year before Korea was going to be the focus country. Mm. And so suddenly all the organizers were rushing around looking for somebody in this country who translates from Korean uh, and could only find me, <laughs> who hadn't translated from Korean <laughs> at that point. Um, and yeah, and then I, so I was completely not in the sort of industry um, before then. Uh, I'd never even heard of the London Book Fair, but then I I got to go along, I got to do a couple of events, I met a bunch of publishers, including uh, Max Porter from Portobello, and because it was the year before Korea's um, big thing, everybody was asking, you know, do you know of a Korean book that Mm. would be right for our lists? And I thought, yes, I do. I do, Um, particularly for, yeah, for Grand from Portobello, the vegetarian seemed like it would be a a really good fit. Awesome. So do you think this this is really opening up? Korean literature for the UK market? Definitely. I think that, um, I mean, for one, there is so much out there because it is so sort of little represented at the moment. Um, and it's a, it's a country that has a very lively, diverse literary scene. So there's, there's something for everyone. And I think the big problem, which I kind of didn't even realise was a problem at the beginning, is that the, a lot of publishers sort of had this idea that well, you know, how well can a book from South Korea really do? Mm. Um, what, like it's an entirely alien place and that people aren't going to yeah, understand? Yeah, which, which doesn't, is, doesn't really make sense, doesn't make no. sense to me at all. But there was that idea. Um, and now the vegetarian has proven that... I suppose that nationality doesn't matter. No. And it certainly isn't, isn't a barrier. I mean, at the same time, it isn't anything to do with what made the vegetarian a success and it doesn't mean that you know oh great south korean books are going to be really hot now Mm. Um, but i think it it's sort of it's shown at least that taking a risk on you know an unknown author a language country whatever that people aren't necessarily familiar with you know that that's actually what a lot of people appreciate not just being given another version of something that they've already read like 50 times before and I don't think I've ever actually read anything that is like the vegetarian no exactly and that's exactly the same you know 
it, it's as much of an anomaly in some ways in South Korea as it is here. Yeah. But that's always going to be sort of what the best stuff is. It's not the people who are part of a trend. It's the people who are just doing something off doing their own. own stuff. Absolutely. So, how successful is Hang Hang in South Korea? Uh, at the moment, she is. She must be the most successful writer for a very long time. Um, so the Vegetarian was published there in 2007, mm. and I saw a, an article recently that said, uh, in the nine years since it was published, uh, up until the long list for the the booker was announced, it had sold about 20,000 copies. Mm -hmm. um, so it was never a bestseller, but it was it was a kind of cult book, yeah. and it was a steady seller that sort of gained. Um, quite a good audience over the years and so that was yeah around 20,000 and now apparently 426,000 oh my god <laughs> um, and she is currently at I think it's even more impressive number one two and five in the bestseller I saw that charts. on your Twitter earlier pretty incredible yeah and even more incredible given that it could not have happened to a less sort of starry woman <laughs> who you know because you would you would worry that that kind of sudden ridiculous overnight success would you know, could change somebody could change the, yeah. the way that they write in a lot of instances and yeah I don't think anybody has anything to worry about where she's concerned she's taking it all incredibly calmly <laughs> can we talk about the relationship between a translator and the author of the, of the original work because I'm sure that's something that you get asked about a lot <laughs> and yep. have an answer prepared for but I think it is something that does fascinate people when did you first meet Han? did you speak with her a lot while you were translating vegetarian have you met her before you started doing the second attempt at translation how did it work no I mean partly this was because sorry um, you know, the vegetarian was the first translation that I had published and so I didn't really have any idea about what the normal process was. Mm. Um, and I and is there a normal process either? Um, I don't. I think it varies a lot, um, and particularly I think it varies between you know whether your author can speak or read a bit of English or sure. not. And in a lot of cases they they can't, or if they're dead, that obviously makes it. Oh yeah, quite well, <laughs> quite, quite different as well. Yeah. I, I initially translated the vegetarian uh, without having spoken to her or had any contact with her um, because I didn't know how to get in touch with her I also didn't know if she spoke English mm. um, at that stage although obviously I could have I could have asked her some questions in Korean um, but then when I sent the manuscript in um, and this was to Portobello books. yeah to Portobello yeah. and we went through the edits they then uh, sent it on to Kang and she got in touch with me um, and yes, revealed that she could uh, read my translation very well. And she had gone through it and uh, mainly just made uh, comments, mm. comments around, you know, explaining a little bit about what her intention had been behind a particular scene or a character or a word choice. Was that to compliment like what you were writing to explain to you further or to suggest a change or both? Um, I don't know because she was she was so sort of um, I don't know if humble is the right word, but she no she never said you know I think you should change this or so she was you know, quite free is this better and, yeah. yeah I think just because she you know recognised that although she could read English quite well she you know isn't a native level speaker of it 
and so she was yeah trusting me to make the final decision but wanted to make sure that I I guess had as much information as possible and actually in pretty much every case I did then go back to my translation and rework it in the light of what she had told me so maybe she had really astutely spotted um, <laughs> something that could be different and was just sort of too polite to say which sounds like something that she would do <laughs> so just in case for those who haven't yet read the vegetarian could you sum up a bit before God, isn't it? It's it's particularly difficult because all the sort of soundbite summaries make it sound very much not what it is. So no, I think what I had heard before I read it was that oh, it's about a woman from South Korea who decides to become a vegetarian, and her family really pissed off about it. And yeah. that's how people try to summarize it. But I suppose really, it's it, it's more about the relationship with the body and nature and animalistic intentions of humans Mm. um it's a whole host of things it's a very difficult one to summarize yeah i mean the sort of yes the bare bones plot is woman in south korea decides to become a vegetarian although actually i mean it's not really vegetarianism and you know some people have then sort of quibbled about oh should it be called the vegan because actually she doesn't eat eggs or milk or whatever well of course in the end she is cutting down you know everything except even water it's not as though she's following any particular sort of you know diet plan or I think sort of the vegetarian is a label that is put on her and is about it's about somebody who makes an unexpected decision to take control of their life uh, in a way that is not sort of sanctioned by Mm. society or by her family and she is this sort of acts as this kind of blank slate at the center of which everybody around her projects their own sort of fears and repressed desires onto her and are constantly trying to explain to themselves why she's doing what she's doing Um, and she is sort of eluding these boxes they're trying to put her in I suppose that something that's quite fun and an added layer to that is that then that's exactly what the readers do too yeah, yeah. which again is, is I think possibly why this book has done so well not just in in English but it had been translated into um, quite a few languages before the UK edition um, really far afield like Argentina Vietnam Poland um, and had been very well received in all of them and I think it's because, or perhaps one of the reasons that, that makes it it's such a, a good book for that is that there's a lot of ambiguity and there's a lot about interpretation and a lot of space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the author is always very careful to not sort of tell you what she thinks or what sort of any kind of overarching narrator thinks. Instead, we get a lot about what, individual characters think but then our sort of allegiances change in a way over the course of the book and so you kind of become aware of yourself as doing that as a as a reader as well and you know can find yourself brought up short sometimes you know a sort of a perspective that you've had suddenly maybe turns out to be not as savoury as you might have thought yeah that wasn't an awful pun on (laughs) I'll allow it (laughs) so the second book of um, Hang Hangs that's been translated into English is Human Acts Um, and that again it's very very different Mm. but hops from perspective 
again and um, looks at the relationship of the body and soul and also many other different things. And I loved reading your translator's note at the beginning of the book where you were talking about the decisions that you make with language because you said that some of it was written in almost uh, a kind of slang mm, type of Korean yeah. and you couldn't translate that, so you decided to put some of it in a Yorkshire <laughs> accent. Can you talk us through that? Because I think that's really cool. Yes. Um, I should say that I only put a very, very tiny bit of it in, <laughs> in any kind of Yorkshire because that actually used to be a thing that people would would do when they were translating um, dialect it would just be sort of replaced by you know suddenly they become Scouse or yeah. Geordie or something Why I? but they're so exactly but they're you know Korean farmers from sort of 50 <laughs> years ago and that just sounds really bizarre but yeah Korean dialects are much more like strongly marked than they are in English even though the sort of South Korea is only the same size as England so you almost they're almost not mutually intelligible mm. um, you have to sort of speak the standard Seoul dialects to make sure that everybody someone from a different region would understand you or at least until relatively recently and this whole chapter is written in this incredibly thick uh, dialect from the city of Guangzhou which is where it's set it's also where Hang Kang uh, grew up and there's a there's a point to that as well so you the whole point of that is It's supposed to be this sort of warmth and this kind of return to, uh, I suppose, the the idyll that existed before the massacre. Mm. And there's because a, that that's what human acts is about. Yes, yes, it is. It is about a historical um, massacre that occurred in that city in 1980. And there's a, a section, the sort of an epilogue slash final chapter where. Uh, there is a character called the writer who is researching uh, a book which is uh, what human acts turns out to be and returns from Seoul to Gwangju which is her hometown which she hasn't been back to in a very long time and the people there are speaking this dialect to her and she finds herself both um, sort of entranced by that because to her, the only people she has known growing up who speak like that are her family. And mm. so it's as though she's speaking with her family, as though she's come back home in a way. And at the same time, she is also alienated from that because she now speaks this really rigid, standard soul speech. And as soon as she opens her mouth, the people that she's speaking to sort of become a bit more formal. Um, and so it wasn't as though, you know, the dialect was just there just because that was happened happened to be where it was set. It was there was some sort of point of it. So mm. I felt like I had to do something with it that would try and try and bring that across. And yeah. So there are a few people, you know, addressing other people as love. <laughs> um which is exactly because it's exactly the same thing that I experience when I go back to Doncaster now yeah. and people are talking like that and I sort of mistakenly try and like get back into it and then they think I'm foreign and they can't understand what I'm saying because I've gone too far and it's horribly embarrassing. I do that too. I feel the need when I go back home because I used to have well not a really strong Geordie accent because my dad grew up in the south so I always had a bit of a mix of one but like a proper one like this and I'd mm. go like so when I go home and I get on a bus and I, I speak. it's always on the bus. <laughs> like so I'm like 
can I have one single to South Shields, please? Like, I have to really put it on because otherwise they're just going to look at me like, oh, she's not from here. And yeah. then I just want to scream, actually, I am. Yeah. Um, but it is that thing, you know, where they're like, yes, pet, oh, champion. Mm. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's those little words, the little affectionate things at the end mm. of sentences that, I don't know, really ground you to that place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and also, what I love is the, we're talking about people walking hunched over mm. and it is like a Korean character right it's like, yeah yeah, and yeah. It's, you, it's imagine a right angle guys that's what it looks like so you've kept that in the book mm. you just can't you couldn't translate that without no. keeping that in what does that character mean in Korean it's a K okay it's because Korean has everything used to be written using sort of Chinese characters but then in the 20th century they started using their own well, they started more widely using their own sort of phonetic alphabet, which is incredibly easy to learn, mm. which is one of the reasons that I chose Korean, not Chinese or Japanese, because you can learn to read it in an afternoon, not <laughs> several years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I felt, on the one hand, Human Acts compared to The Vegetarian has a lot more of that specific context in it. Mm. Um, and also I felt like, because this was the second book and because... It, you know, the vegetarian had done quite well and a lot of people reading Human Acts would already have heard of Han Kang and mm. would have read The Vegetarian. I felt like I had a bit more freedom to not sort of domesticize stuff, which I don't really like doing anyway. Um, you don't want to make things too sort of exotic, but at the same time, you you don't want to pretend that, you know, there is absolutely no difference yeah um and so things like things like that i mean if there's a way to do it where you know you don't need to explain something you don't need to put a footnote in because that's awful um and makes it sound like a sort of academic textbook but it takes the reader out of it as well yeah and if it's just but if it's just clear from the context like okay this is that it's just a you know it's another thing that sort of grounds it in a particular place mm. which that whole book um, is very much about and I think that was you know that was something that Kang really felt while she was writing it as well that it was her sort of love letter to Kwangju in a sense mm. and do you notice I'm sure you do like these little thrills as a translator when something works perhaps even better in English than in the original language and you mm. get that extra added. Like I can't help but notice in the book when it's talking about the body and soul and obviously in, in Korea there is soul the place mm. and <laughs> we have that kind of extra thing which you wouldn't have in, in Korean, yeah. which is, is quite interesting. At the moment you're translating another book of hers. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, so this is the most recent book that she's written. In fact, it was only published uh, in South Korea a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it will be called something like The White Book um, in English. That's the working title for it at the moment. In Korean, it's just white. Um, And it's very slim, uh, only about the length of the first third of The Vegetarian. And it's a very uh, experimental work in a lot of ways. It's it's almost a mix of kind of essay and uh, prose poetry. Mm. Um, And yeah, it's actually a good point to mention that Kang is actually a poet as well as a as a prose writer, which makes her pretty unusual um, among Korean writers as well. 
but definitely I think I think feeds into her her prose and she wrote this book partly while she was in a, a writer's residency in Warsaw and so there's a little bit of a sort of semi-autobiographical writing about that but very abstract um, and there's also a very uh, personal uh, thread running through it uh, around uh, her own family experiences and the the white theme or idea um, is continued throughout with sort of these riffs on things that are white mm. so uh, a shroud uh, swaddling bands for a baby fog the white page before you write on it mm. um, and she just goes off on all these sort of wonderful tangents which then turn out to be all sort of threaded together into a whole and I like that. Have you read uh, Bluettes by Maggie Nelson? Yes, yes, yes. So it's, it's and a bit I, like I that. thought very yeah. much of that, definitely. Yeah. So when when can we expect that, do you think? Uh, I think at the moment it's scheduled for November next year, Okay. which does seem quite a long time to wait. It'll pass by quickly, um, though. But yes, I imagine it will, it will... The anticipation will make it all the sweeter. And the um, new paperback of Human Acts will be coming out, I think, in October. So that will be something to people over as well absolutely so what else are you doing at the moment apart from translating Hang Hang's work uh, apart from translating Hang Hang's work I am translating a collection of short stories by another Korean writer called Bae Suwa. Um Hang Hang and Bae Suwa are my two obsessions <laughs> <laughs> um, and this will be I've translated actually two of um, Suwa's novels already and they're about to to come out in the US and this will then come out sort of even later um, and then the other thing that I'm <laughs> supposed to be doing certainly more probably than I am actually doing um, is that I started a publishing house last year yep. called Tilted Axis and we are publishing um, contemporary fiction uh, mainly in translation Asian languages mainly by women just the kind of stuff that I'm generally interested in anyway and that there seemed uh, not enough of mm -hmm. so I suppose the kind of books that you know I'm not in a sense I get a bit annoyed sometimes when people think that you're publishing certain things purely from a kind of representational standpoint mm -hmm. um, I'm publishing things that excite me um, and that are the kinds of books that wouldn't otherwise make it into English because of the representational stuff, yeah. not because of the aesthetic stuff. Um, just because if you are, you know, a woman writing in Malaysia and don't speak English, then you are just less likely to get an international agent and a publisher and all of these other things yeah. than uh, somebody else. And so we've just uh, published our first book, which is called Panti, a Bengali novella by uh, Sangeeta Banjopache, translated by Aranavasina, who is like the one-man superstar of the Bengali translation world. Uh, in fact, when I told people that I was starting the press, uh, they all, a lot of people that I met said, oh, you should work with Aranava, uh, which turned out to be a very good idea. And that's been really well received so far, which I'm really excited about that. Um, and then, so at the moment, we're working on getting the second book uh, ready to go to print, and that is by 
uh, a young South Korean author called Hong Jong-un. And she was recommended to me uh, by Han Kang, actually. Mm. She is sort of one of Kang's favorites from the younger generation. Um, and you can see why, in a sense, they both are quite distinct from uh, writers of their generation, the sort of the various trends that people are exploring, but also in the way that they have a very strong sort of empathetic focus. Can you recommend some UK presses for translation stuff? Because obviously there are people like um, your lovely publishers, and then we have Under the Stories and mm. Pushkin. Uh, who else would you recommend that people pay attention to, as well as your lovely press? As well as my lovely press, as yes. Well you can read other things as well. That's okay. <laughs> We're, I mean, that's the nicest thing. We are all very um, uncompetitive, I think, possibly because there's sort of famously no money in it. Yeah. Um, so nobody's squabbling over like the, the scene, isn't <laughs> the it? Everyone's quite friendly. Yes, yeah. Uh, together. Fitzcarraldo um, yes. are another really exciting press. They're very new. They don't uh, solely do translation, but they do a lot, and a lot that is, um, you know, less obviously commercial, which is what I tend to like. And they just... Do they do a lot of non-fiction translation? Yes, they sort of do... They have two strands, one which is um, essay or non-fiction and um, the other which is fiction and I think in fact they do translations uh, from both sides and they just did uh, Second Hand Time by uh, Svetlana uh, Alexievich, Alexievich who won the Nobel Prize and I that was the sort of book that I, I kind of felt like I should read mm. and because you know it's Nobel and it's about the USSR, you know, it doesn't feel like it's going to be an enormously exciting book. And it was actually the most gripping page turner that I had read in a very long time. And yet was about sort of people discovering various um, types of salami <laughs> and, you know, where they were going to get their, their vodka from. And I really can't explain it, but it was, it was very exciting. Well, thank you very much uh, for letting me shove this microphone in your face you guys can't see it but it's literally it's like i'm a news reporter right now it's very exciting i feel very famous people are walking past us like i don't know what they're doing yeah yeah i think think they're jealous (laughs) yes thank you for asking me and it was a lovely excuse to sit in this uh, in the courtyard for so long yeah we're gonna have to get back to our work now but this was this was very nice okay i'll speak to you guys later bye I hope you enjoyed this month's episode of Books with Jen. Have you read The Vegetarian? Have you read Human Acts? Are you excited for the white book like I am? Let me know in the comment section down below if you're watching this on YouTube or if not, drop me a tweet at Aeroplane Girl or you can reach me via email at jenvcampbell at gmail.com especially if you'd like to request um, possible future guests for episodes of the podcast. Um, I will speak to you guys very soon. I'll be uploading more videos before the next podcast on my YouTube channel if you want to check that out, which is youtube.com forward slash Jen V. Campbell. I hope you're all having a great week. I'll speak to you later. Lots of books, love. Bye.